0: His radio show is Our Kids Finstas, right? Here's this up and coming pirate radio DJ with something to say. They really did capture what it's like
1: to be on the air and be insecure about it.
0: Keep the air alive. Hello, and welcome to the Untitled Gen X podcast a podcast dedicated to the pop culture that raised us. I'm Lori, a writer and pop culture lover who's totally pumped to welcome radio host Buzz Bishop. Hey, Lori. Hey! (laughs) Hey! You guys, Buzz is here to join me in seizing the air as we break down 1990s coming-of-age indie drama, Pump Up the Volume. But before we talk hard, I'd like to tell you a little about Buzz Bishop. Buzz has been a radio host for more than 30 years. He's met Brittany, Christina, Beyonce, and Gwen. He's partied with In Excess, slept through the chance to party with you too, and has interviewed everyone from Janet to 98 Degrees. In his incredible career, he's been a TV reporter, newspaper columnist, dad blogger, and an actor that you might even recognize from a 90s Subway commercial. Buzz is a devoted husband and father of two sons and lives in Calgary, Canada. He also hosts XL Mornings with Buzz on XL 103, so check him out. Welcome to the podcast, Buzz.
1: Holy cow. (laughs) This is your life.
0: This is the whole of your professional career.
1: It's weird hearing those, uh, those intros, but yeah, great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. We've known each other a really long time.
1: Is it like 15 years almost?
0: Oh my God. I don't even want to know time is going by so quickly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And okay, so you began your career as a radio host in 1990. Yep. The very year this film was released, by the way. How did you get into radio?
1: I was failing out of university. (laughs) Seriously. when You know, like at the end of high school, how you do like career days and you do surveys to figure out what your your aptitude is and what you should do. I really wanted to be an astronaut. I wanted to fly the space shuttle.
0: Okay.
1: And uh, so they had me going into engineering and sciences, and that's what Mm -hmm. I was taking in uni. And I was terrible. I was in the arcade at the student union building, pumping quarters all day. I was cutting classes. I wasn't doing anything. I was doing so bad. And my brother was graduating high school when I was in second year university. He already knew he wanted to do computer programming. My brother went off to work for Google and Microsoft mm. and now, now lives, you know, a semi-retired life running a pottery studio in Seattle. Oh, nice. Right? Like he had, he had the plot well done. And here I am flailing away in university and he comes home uh, with a, a brochure for radio school and says, here, maybe you should do this. And so I, I went and auditioned for radio school and I got in and then my mom knew somebody whose brother worked at a station and I went for a tour and boom then the next thing you know I was I was working in a little town called Vernon in the middle of BC and uh, three years later was back in in Vancouver and you know I never graduated radio school. My mom was upset with that that I never got the diploma. Okay. Uh, But hey, 32 years later, I think I'm okay.
0: (laughs) You got the career and that's what matters. Yeah. Wow. So growing up, I mean, were you glued to your radio? Did you love radio personalities? Was this something that really spoke to you as a kid? Um, I used to
1: fall asleep with the radio under my pillow at night, right? Like when I was seven years old, but back then it was, you know, I was, cause I was, I was playing hockey. And so I'd listen to the junior hockey team and the play-by-play and I'd put, with the little transistor radio under my pillow. And then when I was a teen, it's just like, I can still see my digital clock radio with, it wasn't even digital. It had the the tabs on it that flipped over when the, when the numbers <sighs> changed, right? Like it wasn't even a digital dial. It was like a, a round dial and you just had to try and get it. And my favorite radio station was LG 73. And the nighttime DJ was Howie the Hitman. And radio just, it's its the soundtrack of my homework, right? Like Even now, 30 years later, mm-hmm. I play i play 70s and 80s music. So that kind of stuff that I listened to when I was a kid. And like Baker Street from Jerry Rafferty will oh come up. Oh my God.
0: Play. Can we just talk about Jerry Rafferty for a second? I'm pretty much the only person I know who loves him. Do you love him? I know that one song. Oh, God. Oh, I'm so disappointed. I was like, we can have a really important conversation right now about Jerry Rafferty. So, all right, right. All right. Fine.
1: Make a street. And this is like, I can remember doing like multiplication tables when I was a kid, because that was like right yes. there. Like I, I remember the first time I heard Beastie Boys fight for your right to party. Well, yeah. like, like when I'm doing it, I remember salt and Peppa push it. And just like these songs are at the table that my mom and dad used to Change my diaper on. It was a diaper table that became my homework table when I was older. Radio is just that place. So like, I always had a fondness for it. we started a radio club in high school where we would do the announcements uh, and play a couple of songs when kids were coming in, like, you know, 745 to 830 sort of thing. And so it was always like, I was interested in it. So that's why my brother went and got that pamphlet for the radio school.
0: Your brother's smart guy, right? Like he knew what was up. Yeah. And I didn't know
1: that that's what I really wanted until I went to the school and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay. This is what, this is what I'm meant to do.
0: Oh, that's so great. So do you remember then what you thought about this film at the time, since you were entering your career in radio, here's this up and coming pirate radio DJ with, you know, something to say. Did you, (laughs) did you have feelings about this film?
1: The thing I remember most about this film, like looking back on it, because it came out in my first couple of years in radio, was the soundtrack. Like, I loved Concrete Blonde, right? Okay. So they, they cover Everybody Knows from Leonard Cohen. Cohen. Mm-hmm. The Ivan Neville song, mm-hmm. uh, Why Can't I Fall in Love, was my emo song of my 20s. Every time a girl dumped me, every <laughs> every time i was just like where why can't i find love it's just like i would put that on over and over pixies waves of mutilation like that whole thing that soundtrack i remember that soundtrack from that time not that movie and when i went back and watched it again it's one of those things where i have a romantic idea in my head about it and then i watched it i went whoa okay that's really different from how i remember it like Breakfast Club, right? You think of it as a, oh, that,
0: that comedy where they're running around and they get high and, and then you watch it and you're like, dude, this is dark. It's dark. You know what? I had that same, I mean, speaking of the Christian Slater connection to it all, this was the exact experience I had with Heathers. I love that film. I'm like, yeah, it's dark, but like, it's also funny. And I had all these feelings. I went back and revisited it for this pod and I was like, this shit is dark. This kid is so disturbed. Everything we know now about school violence and mental health since it was hard to watch. And um, yeah, totally looked at it a different way. And it was the same with this film, because I remember I liked Christian Slater because he was cute, like whatever, right? 1990, I was. What, I was a freshman in high school. Right,
1: he's young Jack Nicholson. He's totally right?
0: like he's got attitude and 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 a whole vibe and like you know screw the man and that bravado was like really attractive to me as a young person. And I look back now and I'm like, oh my god, he needs a hug. Like I'm looking at him from such a maternal point of view. It was a very different viewing experience than I thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, when you talk about, I want to give this guy a hug. It's it's this movie where. I'm just wondering, like, did we have really that much angst and, and depression and just like so many issues when we were a kid? Because he's he's talking about the school and suburbia and we don't belong and all we do is go to the mall and like, that's my life. I don't have anything. And sure, their teenage angst and, and depression and self-doubt is all there, but it was way heavier in the movie. And I, I don't know if the The way they talked about the school when the principal becomes the villain who is you right. know, kicking kids out and keeping the money is, was this a school for struggling kids? Cause Nora is kind of like, she talks about like she's getting kicked out because she's failing math. And so was it a struggling school? And so that's his world that he's just got where everybody is a square peg and a round hole or.
0: I don't actually think so. And I do think that for a lot of kids, this sort of like disaffected, disillusioned coming of age was a real thing. Like I was a happy teenager and I really liked school. So this whole idea was just something that I didn't really identify with, but I know like a huge segment of Gen X felt that way, feels this way, looks back on their time and was like, yes, nailed it. That was me. That wasn't my experience, but it doesn't mean it didn't belong to others, but I mean, no. yeah, I mean, his, his first words that we hear are, you know, you ever get the feeling that everything in America is completely fucked up. Like, I think it's just <laughs> that whole idea. And I'm I'm asking you who lives in Canada. You're like, <laughs> no, yes, but it's actually, I do get that feeling about America, Lori, but no, it's just this idea that like your worldview is opening up as you grow up. Right. You're like, these are the people I'm supposed to aspire to be like, these are my role models. I don't agree with their ideals.
1: Well, let's put it in a in a 2022 lens, right? Like 30 years later, mm-hmm. are our kids say, Like you could make that movie and have most of the dialogue still be the same, except it's a podcast instead of trading tapes at school or it's social media.
0: Right, it's TikTok. You know, right, mm-hmm.
1: sure. Yeah, just take out the landlines and put in some iPhones <laughs> and, and the movie works exactly the, the same, same way. But this also had me wondering about teen movies now, and maybe because my, my kids aren't quite old enough yet, but are teen movies as heavy? I don't know. I'm not watching Euphoria. Are you watching Euphoria? I like, am is it-
0: not watching Euphoria by design because okay. I have a kid in high school and I have a kid <laughs> in college and I'm like, I can't watch this. No.
1: Okay. But again, was pump up the volume meant for 16 to 20 year olds to watch, or was it for their parents to say, this is what your kids are feeling like? Like, I don't know, 40 seems so much older in the eighties. Like you look at the mom and dad in this, and they are 40 years old, the actors, when they, when they shot this, right? You just, and it was like, ah, oh, you're so old, but you're only 40, but you're so old, right?
0: You're the youngest school commissioner ever.
1: Ever, right? So yeah, I just wonder if, if pop culture is as heavy now as, as this stuff feels when we go back and watch Heather's yeah. or up the volume.
0: It was so much heavier than I remember it being. I don't know what I remember this film to be.
1: You didn't remember that his his whole shtick was masturbating on, on Mike.
0: I did not remember that. I didn't remember either. <laughs> I didn't remember that. And I was like, oh, okay. So, of course, the character, the radio personality, he's known as Hard Harry or Happy Harry Hardon. We'll just call him Hard Harry. The character is played by Christian Slater. The director who is actually Canadian. Did you know that Alan Moyle? I did not. Okay. He's the guy who directed Empire Records. Ah. Yeah. Which another Gen X classic. Okay. But I love that
1: poster. I never saw the movie, but I love that poster because Liv Tyler just has the most perfect sweater on that poster.
0: Midriff and the little sort of clueless skirt. And and, uh, Yes, exactly.
1: (laughs) Never saw the movie, but I'd put that poster in my room all
0: day. I actually recommend the movie. You might like it. That was a fun revisit. Yeah, you should check it out. So he wanted an actor who had, quote, glee to be effably sweet and at the same time demonic. And his first choice for the role was John Cusack.
1: Yep. Same sort of vibe, right?
0: John Cusack was like, nope, I'm coming off of saying anything. I'm never going to play a high school student again. I'm done with this. And so he was actually looking for someone who could embody the character that is a combination of Holden Caulfield from Catcher in the Rye and Lenny Bruce. I would say he found it in Christian. Yeah, for sure.
1: I mean, but
0: you also notice it's the Clark
1: Kent Superman sort of thing, right? Whenever he's on mic, no glasses. Right? When he walks around in school, he's got glasses. He's a little That's shy. He's a little mean. me. Okay. Well, let me let me share a little bit of radio to you.
0: I was going to ask you, do you have like a, a radio persona? Dude. And he even admits it
1: in it, right? Like yes. he talks about like, I just wanted to see these things. and like, wow. Now people like know me and see me. I have friends who did like the six o'clock news and morning uh, television. So okay. I have friends who have been in media for as long as I have, but they're the TV side of thing, and I'm here in, on the radio side of thing. And we would go out just to a restaurant, and people are coming up to the table, oh, blah, 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 like fawning over them because because they're recognized. And yet my radio show had a, had as big or as many listeners. But you get to live anonymously because it's it's unless somebody's really tuned in and recognizes your voice, then it doesn't happen. So radio lets you really like TV people, like you better be as, as sugar sweet off camera as you are on because you're getting recognized, right? Radio lets you really kind of be two things. And so I'm a terrible introvert. I live with my phone and my PVR and my computer. I, I, The things I like to do are things you do by yourself. I like to golf. I like to play poker. I like to hike. Okay. So uh, I'm not a big guys guy and Beers after work and sports and stuff like that. And yet on the radio, I am very outgoing and very confident and very much alive and dynamic. And even at Events, right? If I go to a bar with friends, I'm a I'm a wallflower. If I go to a bar for a radio station event, I'm walking around and talking to everybody, introducing myself, saying hi, how you doing?
0: You're the guy
1: because there's a little bit of a wall that's broken down. They, it's a radio station event that people already know who I am, so I don't have to try to impress them. They already have an impression, and so the the ice is broken. I don't have to to be something. So yeah, there really is. Like he, he's doing two things and he wants to be hairy, but it's, it's shy and hard, right? He's having lunch on the stairs by himself and right. she recognizes me still gets embarrassed by it. And when she's following him out of the post office, like it. Yeah. I've had bosses who are in sales run the whole radio station. Yeah. And I've had bosses who are DJs run the whole radio station. The bosses who are in sales, like what are salespeople, right? There's like, how you doing? They're always on the make. They're just mm-hmm. like talking to people. My, my wife is in sales. She's, like the pandemic has killed her. She's just like, I can't like, when do I get to go to wine club with my friends? And I'm like, what are you talking about? This is great. I don't have to see anybody.
0: I've never felt more alive.
1: <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and so I've had the bosses to are radio people. is like, I get it. You're weird. It's like, don't worry about it. Like I got you like we're weird. So it is a Jekyll Hyde sort of thing. And and they played that perfectly through his wardrobe and even his, his demeanor radio people I mean, some of them are are crazy and and loud and obnoxious.
0: Yeah, sure.
1: But I, I would even say Howard Stern is probably very very shy and happy to sit and play with his wife's cats all weekend. Yeah, and yet flip flip the mic on and he'll rip anything. Right?
0: Wow. I mean, it seems just so night and day with this character. Mark is just so meek; like he couldn't even say hello to that pretty girl, Page. Like yes. it just about oh, killed yeah. him but then behind yeah. the mic he's got all this bravado. He can say it all. He's unfiltered. He's confident. He's unafraid and in life he just like shrugs shoulders, you know, everything is different.
1: Here here's the thing. Do you like to sing in the car? Yeah. Okay. Could you go on stage at karaoke?
0: I mean, I've done it. It's not my finest hour, but sure ok, so I, maybe you're a little more
1: out, but i I think a lot of people, like when you I guess my point is when you're alone and it's just you, mm-hmm. you can you can feel free to be whatever it is you want to be without fear of judgment. And even when it's just a microphone, like he doesn't know if eight people or eighty people are listening. And he kind of right. starts to get uncomfortable when people are trading the tapes and stuff. And he's like, Whoa! This is bigger than I thought. Like I, I was just using this as a release for my own personal anxiety, right? I mean, at the end, he get, he gets the ego and he realizes that he can change the world or whatever mm-hmm. it is, right? And and get everybody out. Radio is really intimate in that it's just the joke I say about the job that I do is I'm I'm a teenage girl for a living. I sit in a room with a phone, talking to my friends, listening to music, and I'm just sitting there by myself.
0: Best job ever, right? Yes.
1: I've got a phone and a microphone and a bunch of records and I just yeah, sit here getting and getting
0: into radio. Screw this. Right? Yes.
1: Again, it, but it's by myself. And now we're a little more immediate with texts. I mean, we've always had phones, but it, nowadays it's more effort to call a radio station than it is to just text them or email them. But when we get feedback from somebody, it's great because it's like, as a comedian or as a performer, you can go on stage and you feel the the, the audience reaction through the applause or the silence or whatever. Right,
0: there's energy there. Mm-hmm.
1: And radio, it is singing in the shower. And as much as I want to say somebody think, oh, that joke was funny, or I, I totally agree with you, or I disagree with you. There are times when I'm like, somebody will come and me- mention something that happened two weeks later. And I'm just like, oh shit, you were listening? <laughs> like, oh, okay. I thought that was just me. And so he has that same, like they really did capture what it's like to be on the air and be insecure about it
0: that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, I mean, you think of it as all like Dr. Johnny Fever sort of right.
0: sort of stuff, right?
1: We're, you know, smooth like Venus Flytrap, but there is a lot of radio people are yeah, we're we're insecure.
0: It makes sense. And what's really interesting about this film is that the director Moyle, he wrote the screenplay for this also, okay? Yeah. And the original script was titled Radio Death. And it was about a teenage pirate radio DJ who, it was about his final broadcast. He had decided that he was going to commit suicide. And in his final broadcast, he was sort of pontificating over all the ways he could do it or kind of planning it out on air. And so as he's doing this, he's just gaining listeners, right? It's catching on because everyone's like, how's he going to do it? What's he going to do? And then as the broadcast goes on, it's revealed. He's not actually going to go through with it. That was the original draft. It was super dark. Right.
1: So he has that script, but then they also get a treatment for a similar sort of thing. It was going to be called Lean on Me.
0: Ooh, okay.
1: Sandy Stern, who is the producer- she said it had all of the same ideas that were ultimately in pump up the volume. It was only 45 pages. And she said, you know what? This is so your taste. It's so your thing. Look at this treatment. And then she went, shared it with Alan and was like, that was the story I wanted to tell. This is my thing. And so they just kind of blended the two of them together. So is this one lean on me to radio death. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Alan talked about like his teenage years and he was in that, suburban hell. And it was just like the radio would come from the big city. And this was like his window to the big world that was out there. And also in the mid eighties, this was like that pirate radio sort of thing that was like, one of the big ones was called radio free Caroline and it was on ships in the English channel. So off the coast of the UK, people were setting up barges so they were outside of government restrictions that they would broadcast into the UK. Wow. And so, so that sort of this pirate radio sort of thing was a thing in the eighties. And uh, that's, that again was the root of it.
0: Interesting. And so Mark's whole deal, Mark aka Hard Harry. Mark's whole thing is that what his family was from New York and then they moved to shitty Phoenix in the suburbs yeah. and and he got this radio so that he could communicate with his friends back home. I think that's what that whole backstory was supposed to be. Right, okay. And then, you know, he just hates it there so much. And his parents, they're there for the dad's job. The dad is the youngest school commissioner. And and they're like, he's so depressed. Why is he so depressed? Why is he all alone all the time? And they're like, Mark, you should join some clubs. Mark, you should talk to girls. And
1: that is so me with my 14-year-old right
0: now. What do you? join some clubs. I know you don't want to play on the basketball team, but be a scorekeeper. Just go. And so, and so is your kid telling you, look, the deal was if I get okay grades, you leave me alone, leave right. me alone.
1: Right. But he still has this outlet and that's, that's what it is. And I, and I guess it could like, if you, the parents have no clue that he's got this whole setup in his basement,
0: which is wild by the way, like right. that basement, it's just, it's messy as hell. God knows what he's doing down there all the time. The parents right? don't even wonder? I know. Parents are always stupid in those movies anyway. They are. But you, but this is
1: like his radio show is Our Kids Finstas, right? Like Ugh. he's he's using a way to express himself that won't get him in into trouble.
0: Yeah, it's kind of his diary. Yeah. That was what we did. We had our our secret diaries under lock and key and he's he takes it to the airwaves. So, okay. So Samantha Mathis Yes. Artsy student, Nora. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they wanted Drew Barrymore to be it
0: originally. <gasps> I didn't, but I can see that.
1: Yeah. But they just said, nah, she's not our Nora. So mm. uh, this was Samantha Mathis's like one of her first gigs, right? Her first it was. Cause you even see in the opening credits and introducing Samantha Mathis. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, move aside, Molly Ringwald. Here's the next one.
0: And the fact <laughs> that she went topless in her first film. I know she said of the role, um Nora was everything I wanted to be in high school. She was bold and outspoken and unapologetic and she had chutzpah. So sure. I thought she was great. Sure, it's that alt
1: girl too like you could see like Winona Ryder doing it too as well, right? Just like yes. it, yeah, out on the side. So when she talks about the radio and and how radio captured her as a teen, she remembers with her friends where they would call each other and talk on the phone listening to the same radio show. So much like the kids are doing in this, yes. right? And the radio show that she would listen to dr ruth on sunday nights stop right i remember that being a thing we we used to have uh, in canada we had the sunday night sex show sex with sue and she was like the age of your grandmother okay. and she would show there sit there on like cable access and tell you how to put on condoms and explain and so all that's
0: how you got your sex education
1: yes exactly yes. and then uh, the first radio station i worked at we did sex lies and audio tape again a sunday night
0: uh-huh. It was the
1: highest rated part of the I whole bet. radio station, was yeah. our our sex talk show. And I produced that for a little while. Yeah. But yeah, that power of radio that would just bring people together. It's like you're at your house, I'm at my house, and we're talking on the phone and both listening to the radio. Like that was a thing. That's what everybody that did. It was a
0: thing. When I was in high school and all through college, the big hot thing was K-Rock's Love Line with Dr. Drew and Adam Carolla. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. we're just glued to it. It was huge.
1: Another thing about Samantha Mathis, did you know that she and um Christian Slater started dating during the show.
0: I read that. Yes. I mean, there was definite chemistry between them. They had it, but they also had it off film. So it right. Sense. And the part that
1: I liked about it was, so when you talked about that topless scene, right? Yes. Hard Harry does the show without his shirt on. and He's just doing all this thing. And they get caught by uh, his parents and, and she goes outside and and takes her shirt off, I guess, cause he has his shirt off. I guess. Whatever I reason, know. but there's, the scene is like, it's so erotic with them just like facing each other and getting closer and talking and just like some foreplay. And I was expecting it to go into just a whole, just like a big French kissing tongue scene. And and she gets on top of him and then goes away.
0: It doesn't happen. Mm -hmm.
1: No. And so I found that really interesting. And then when she does kiss him, it's not a passionate kiss. It's again, it's a slow thing and, it's just a peck and, and run away. And so I don't know if that was an examination of teenage female sexuality where they want to be all these things, but are still holding back or.
0: So it's very interesting, right? Because before Nora discovers that Mark is hard hairy, she's very attracted to this radio personality, yes. right? She's writing a very sexy love letters on that red stationery and she's very bold and he's attracted to, to her words. She's attracted to his words. And when they're together, because he even says on air, like, I don't believe that the letter writer is really this wild. And when she finally approaches him, she's like basically saying, I am this wild. I've discovered who you are. I am this wild. And, and she takes off her top and they have this moment. But then together, they're incredibly vulnerable. Yeah, You know, and I think she wants to be this girl. And I think that's part of who she is. But I think that this was her bold expression of that when she was topless. But in reality, I don't know. I I think she's trying to reconcile what that means. Sure. I did find that scene very interesting because, you know, there's a moment where Hard Harry is becoming so popular. This program is causing all kinds of problems at the school. The kids are questioning authority. They are vandalizing the school. Yeah. They, with all of like hard Harry's, you know, what does he say? Like talk hard and all this, you know, so be it. So be it, you know, all this, the kids are just running amok because they're all just so disillusioned by the school administration.
1: They're given permission to break free.
0: Yeah. As this is gaining in popularity, he is getting increasingly nervous. Yeah. And of course a kid writes him a letter saying, look, I want to commit suicide. I'm serious. And he calls that kid and he's like, why do you want to do this? Do you have access to a gun? So the kid is named Malcolm and Anthony Lucero, the actor who played Malcolm said that his character was actually gay. He said it was told to me, but never clarified with the audience, which I liked because it left room for all the things that we struggle with. So here, Harry has this conversation with Malcolm about it. And Harry reveals like, look, I go whole days without talking to people. I'm super lonely too. Like you're not alone in this. And he's showing this real compassionate human side that like, you know, when he's bold and he's doing stuff like masturbating on air and like, I've got my blackjack gum and my, my diet, wild cherry Pepsi. And I've got that feeling like it's all about to break loose. Right. (laughs) He says all these things, but then he's really quite vulnerable on air with his listeners and particularly with these like phone calls. And we find out that Malcolm ultimately commits suicide. And after that, then like the feds get involved. Now it's like, we have to hold somebody responsible I don't know why Harry would be held responsible. No, I
1: don't this. think so either. It's, it's I mean, he's
0: kind of a ridiculous premise,
1: and it is that sort of thing where you you take it too far and you go, "Whoa, okay, that that, that was the, the masturbating stuff." But we're we're serious. Like, I can see he really does care about the kids, right? Like that is the whole thing. Is like he wants to empower everybody to get out of it. The other part, like where it's not explained in the movie that that character is gay, is that was one of the red red lines. For financing the movie and it was like if this oh. character's gay we're not doing it
0: are you serious yes i mean 1990 or 1990
1: but it i don't think it has to do i think it's because he's gay and he kills himself because he's gay
0: mm.
1: they don't i don't know if they wanted to light that fire because later okay. we get
0: another caller
1: and he is out and gay and he gets lured to go and uh, be with another guy and everybody uh-huh. starts making fun of him. Well, let's fast forward to 2022. They would have been taking videos of that from the bushes yeah. and putting it on a TikTok. Oh and, my God. But again, where's where's Harry in this is he's empathetic and supporting and, and encouraging and lifting up. So he is this wild, outrageous person, but with a, a soul to support the kids with what they're going through.
0: Absolutely. I mean, the very first time we see him go on air, he's talking about how hypocritical it was that the pregnant student was expelled, you know, and, and so he's calling out all these like grave injustices within the school and he wants to hold the guidance counselors and the principal accountable for this stuff. And so the kids all agree. And this is why they start going crazy at school and the school doesn't know what to do with all of it. Like that girl, Paige. I don't even understand the
1: point of Paige. She, okay. So she put all her stuff in the microwave and blew it up because she was sick of trying to live up to this thing. But I didn't really, I don't know. I didn't get an arc on her.
0: Once Malcolm commits suicide, this is when Harry goes on air to reveal that being a teenager is bullshit because everyone's always telling you what to do. Yes. And he says the terrible secret is that being young is sometimes less fun than being dead. He does say suicide is wrong. It seems like a simple solution, but there's fine print. And Slater actually told the LA Times in 1990 that playing this character was fascinating because I was really acting like Superman, exactly like you said. Right? Exactly. He said, I was meek and mild on the outside, but a hero on the inside. And this is when Harry tells his audience that, you guys, heaven is boring. And guess what, kids? You shit yourself when you die. And he (laughs) mentions that he's sick of being ashamed. And this is when we see Paige say, sick to death. And she grabs all of her medals and all of her awards and she microwaves them. And of course, you know, everything explodes. She's a weird character, but in that, he's like, you know, make them think you're crazy. Yes. Then at that big school meeting after Malcolm commits suicide and all this shit's going down at school. This is when Paige shows up and she tries to tell everyone, we got to listen to him and and everything is, is going wrong here and you guys aren't paying attention. And she goes out, you know, with all the media there and she starts acting like a crazy person. Yes. Make them think you're crazy. Right. I mean,
1: <laughs> one of the other lines that he said in when he was like coming to all his revelations that I, mm-hmm. I found was interesting. High school is the bottom. Surviving it is the point.
0: A lot of people felt that way.
1: Like, like, let's think about high school for a bit. It is the bottom, and you know, we obsess about, oh, what, what, what's my social studies mark like? And oh, I've only got a 3.1, I need a 3.4. Or, and yet, you know, once you're 30, like, are we do we care if we <laughs> copied an essay or actually read all of Catcher in the Rye? Like, it, it helps you build the character along the way, but we all take certain shortcuts and, and, but for the kids who are in it, this is going on your permanent record and right. you better get into this school. And yeah, all you need to do is survive it, kid, just, just get your first step safely on the ground out afterwards. And then you can build your own path. But, but when you're in that tornado, it just really, it is stressful.
0: It's a lot. And I would argue that it's gotten progressively worse. And it's this idea that if you don't follow this very traditional path and do everything just right all the time, well, then your future is shit because all the other kids are doing it. This is what you have to do. And it's really not like that, but you don't have the gift of perspective when you're a kid and the schools aren't really open to this idea of like, Hey, Maybe university isn't for you. Maybe trade school is where it's at. Yeah. Hey, maybe, maybe you want to do this other thing or take this non traditional path. It's, it's very like this is the way to success and anything else, like you're, you're screwed. And it's a lot of pressure.
1: Sure. We're all afraid of stepping out of the system, out of right. the, the machine, right? I had a friend, so this is about, she quit her job. They sold their house and they were going to go and travel the world for a couple of years. Their kids were like grade two and grade four. Now they only lasted six months. Like they went to England and they went down through France and Spain and over to Greece. And somewhere between Italy and Greece was Halloween and they missed North American Halloween. And they're just like, okay, sure. Yeah. I I climbed the Eiffel tower and I'm learning about Roman history by being in Rome and they were homeschooling them while they were out gallivanting around the world. And it was a beautiful family experience. But six months after doing that, the kids hated it. And so they came back and went to their regular public school again. And we all worry about, oh, can I take a long weekend to go to Disney with the boys? Mm -hmm. Or can I go to a a grandparent's 80th birthday with the kid? Like, oh, we're going to miss school. Well, she just took her kids out for six months and they came back and just Blopped right back into the machine. So it's like, we get stuck into it, but we don't realize that, yeah, we can break it and take detours. And if we want to come back, we can come back. But like, there's all sorts of different yeah. ways.
0: I mean, look at you, Buzz. You didn't graduate radio school and look at you now.
1: best part about radio is <laughs> I, I've had general managers and some of those most successful morning hosts, like didn't even graduate high school. Like it's wow. just one of the, it's one of those gigs where you can do it or you can't, and it doesn't matter the piece of paper that says you can do it. It's it's whether or not you can do it.
0: Well, Mark could have had a really successful career in radio. I think he went on to be the next Howard Stern, perhaps. You think because the
1: the movie kind of ends weird, right? Like it's he he inspires all the kids to rise up. We hear the voices of other pirate radios starting in communities all around uh, the mm-hmm. states. And he and Nora are just slapped off in a paddy wagon with the FCC or whoever it was. Everyone
0: trying to triangulate their location, the FCC.
1: But here he is. His dad is the youngest school commissioner and his son has just broken 14 different (laughs) laws. Um, Does he, does it? I mean, maybe in in 2022, he, he grows up to be Jake Paul. But, um, or Logan Paul, right? Like with his own empire where it doesn't, the rules don't matter. He seems to have a little bit more of a conscience than those other guys. But uh, I don't know if it ends up really well because back in the 80s, that might've been serious crimes that they were charged.
0: It was super weird. Like all of a sudden this became like sort of an action film yeah. with Nora behind the wheel, driving that Jeep like shit. All the while he's telling everyone and this time like wearing his glasses. So he's like, himself, oh, I didn't notice that oh, I hope I'm not lying. No, I no, think that's no, right. Think yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay. he's wearing his glasses while he's, you know, broadcasting with his little mobile studio and he's telling everyone, hang on, hang in there. I believe the whole world is longing for healing. And I'm like, that's kind of trite, but okay. And he says, and I feel like it's beginning for me with you. And helicopters are closing in and it's, it's craziness. And he's like, this is just the beginning, but it's up to you. Seize the air, speak out, use your voice, do it. You decide, keep the air alive. And everyone just erupts and cheers. And then of course, this is when we hear all the different pirated radio voices chime in, you know, making their voices heard. And now these kids have discovered there's this platform for their voice. And right. today, whether it be a TikTok or a podcast, there you right.
1: go. I mean, it is it is it it is a metaphor for social media. And as dark as we look back on it, the messaging, I think, really does hold up, right? Like kids are going through shit. Rely on each other. Find your community. There are people out there like you. You know, if, you, if you're obsessed about, I don't know, taking apart headphones and speakers. And that's like what you live for every day after school. Like Mm -hmm. you go on the internet, you're going to find other people who like to hack together audio equipment.
0: Right. And this was before the internet. So it's like, really, how did you as a kid fully come to understand that? Wow. I feel this way. I feel like such an outcast. I feel like such a, a fraud or a poser, or I don't know what I'm doing. I'm so confused. And you look around and you think that everyone else has it figured out when they don't. Yeah. But with this film, it was, you know, you saw everyone from the athletes to like the punk rock kids, alt kids, to the pretty popular smart girl. They all share the same angst and and frustration and confusion and they all share it all, but they don't know that. And so it takes hard Harry to bring them all together and they start gathering in the field where they get the best reception (laughs) to listen to him and they realize like wow, we really are connected by these really powerful, confusing adolescent feelings. But before the age of the internet, how did you really come to find your tribe or come to understand that, wow, we're all going through the same thing? I think it was much harder.
1: Yeah, for sure. It it just, it would be by chance Mm -hmm. that you would run into somebody,
0: right? Right. And now, of course, we have the beautiful, beautiful internet where everyone can find their place good or bad?
1: <laughs> you know what? It, it's, it's really interesting because when I, my first reaction to the movie is, holy shit, 80s movies were dark. Wow, that soundtrack was awesome. Holy cow, those vests were great. Oh, that red plaid shirt that Christian Slater has with the black sleeves. I totally wore that. People looked old, even though they weren't old.
0: Right.
1: And so, like, I had all those like surface sort of things. But then now after spending 40 minutes talking about book club, it's just like, oh, wow. Okay. There are metaphors. Like I can understand now And when Hollywood directors go on junkets and do interviews and go, no, well, it's really meaning like all these things. And like, you would watch them and it's like, no, it's, it's not a metaphor. It's, it's avatar. It's just, it's just computer stuff. You just wanted to show off your fancy computer. But now it's like, you think about this and it's like, there's like the connection through radio and feeling alone and finding a place to get together. And it was dark channel radio back then and it's social media now. And it's just all about finding a way to find support and rise above and and lift yourself up.
0: Right. And this is a common thread through films of this era. It's this idea of holding the generation ahead responsible. Look, the administration is telling us how to live. They're telling us how to be. They're trying to make us the certain way, but look, they're the ones who are the hypocrites. They're the ones who can't see right from wrong. And so it's this idea of justice in the end for what was once the underdog, how the younger generation knows more and is smarter. So yeah, I mean, it always feels good, right? We wanna look to the generation ahead of us and be like, nope, you did it wrong and we're gonna fix it and do it better. And so this movie kind of personified that. I mean, I don't know how, how Mark and Nora ended up. I mean, did they go to jail? I guess you could write your own adventure. Right. Yeah. It just kinda
1: just kind of ends, right?
0: It just well, ends. And, and I'm
1: sure Gen Z feels the same way about us that we felt about boomers, oh, totally. right? So don't worry, kid. When you get here, you can yeah. play by your own rules. Right, too.
0: exactly. The the younger generation will hate you too. Don't worry, it's a, it's a cycle yeah, of don't. life kind of thing. Yeah. No, it's yeah. true. That's how it goes. So in terms of the legacy of this film, Stephen Holden, he wrote for the New York Times, he said, much like Heathers, Pump Up the Volume doesn't know how to draw out its premise once that premise has been thoroughly explored. As the film accelerates towards its conclusion, the strands of its clever plot are too hastily and perfunctorily resolved. I kind of agreed. It felt like all this buildup for this thing, and then it just kind of ended. I don't know if
1: you're a clock watcher when you watch movies, but I'm I'm kind of a clock watcher when I watch movies. So I, I know the running time and I looked and I go, there's only 10 minutes left. Like there's supposed to be like, like I'm thinking of my plot lines from English class. Yes, exactly. Like there's a first crisis, then there's a climax and then, and then there's another one. So, but the climax is the helicopter chase. And then, but the denouement, I guess, is the, the kids talking in the thing, but. I guess I was waiting for another close call, like where maybe him and Nora are together and then break up and they go through both go through dark stages and Mm. then comes a climax. Yeah. It's really linear. And then just goes off a cliff.
0: I really wanted to know like what this meant for the father's career as school commissioner. Like what was the fallout of this? Because you know, he's like, ah, shit. I failed as a father. And now my career is in jeopardy. Right. I don't know that moving your kid, like at this point in his high school experience, especially a kid like like Mark, I don't know right. that that was the wisest choice. Yeah, I don't know. you did
1: not really hear about much about what was happening in his past, and and what. No, the I mean, I, he- I had
0: the impression like he was thriving where he was. Yes. Now everything is shit yeah. because of this move. I don't know. Samantha Mathis said. The film felt like something was happening. We were moving away from that synthesized sort of sound and moving into something edgier. I felt like Pump Up the Volume went to this raw place with the landscape of a teenager and being in a world where you see so much that's wrong and feel cynical about society. She went on to say, like, I loved John Hughes films, but I was always attracted to sort of the darker, edgier stuff because it was more true to life, at least for her. Hmm. And Christian Slater said, Pump Up the Volume is my favorite movie that I've ever done. It wasn't a typical high school movie. It really did get into some of the darker, more gruesome details of what it's actually like to be a teenager in high school. And I mean, this is the guy who played JD and Heather's saying this. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's
1: like, it's almost to me where I look at it now, I go, this could be primed for a reboot, but there's some, like, I want to tone Harry down a bit, like. You don't need the masturbating stuff. He can be edgy, but not so crass.
0: Mm-hmm. But maybe that's the mark of immaturity. Sure. Because it's like so much of the, of the things he does and says are seemingly for shock value. Yeah, Because the person that he is would never do that. No. But there
1: is something there that like we've talked about this whole thing. It still resonates today. And I think you could... Do something like that with a a kid with a podcast and maybe have it be more up and down as opposed to just a a straight build up.
0: It'll probably happen, Buzz. I mean, they're remaking everything. They're taking all of our stuff and changing it. So just a matter of time.
1: Got to get the good soundtrack.
0: Got to get the great soundtrack. That's key to this. And you touched on that. The soundtrack actually introduced these artists like... Soundgarden? Yeah, Soundgarden, the Jesus and Mary Chain, like all of these things that you know, by 1990, this was sort of like underground, super alt stuff.
1: And the soundtrack is one of the reasons why it might be hard to find the movie. I had to watch this in 24 chunks on YouTube.
0: (laughs) Oh, poor Buzz in Canada. He's like, where can you find it? I'm like, HBO Max. What are you talking about?
1: Okay. Well, like I tried to get, I tried to rent it on Amazon. I tried to buy it on Apple TV. I tried, I looked. So most of our Showtime HBO stuff comes on a service called Crave. They didn't have it. Uh, We don't get Paramount. And then I didn't have it on, uh, it's not on Netflix. And because New Line Cinema made the movie and then got absorbed by Warner, there's rights with the music in the movie. And so it's not distributed as easily. So Maybe it's like a a US thing and you guys can have it. But like in other international markets, it's not as streamable. But I was surprised I couldn't even like, come on, let me give you six bucks to rent it. Like, come on.
0: Man, Buzz couldn't even get, like, he had to work hard to watch this, you guys. We we owe you a lot.
1: Yeah, well, hey, it was almost like I had to watch it pirate radio style by some guy who made a 24-track playlist on YouTube. I don't <gasps> oh. know, does, is that how you avoid the copyright? Just make it in four-minute segments instead oh, of the whole that's thing? That's
0: such a nightmare. <laughs> like, throughout this whole process, weren't you like, screw you, Lori. Oh, my God, why did we choose this film? This is the actual hardest.
1: Oh, it was good. I, and you know what? I enjoyed it. And it really made me, made, made me think about, uh, my career and the, at the beginning yeah. and yeah. And again, the, and the music was just like that. I've been Neville song. Oh, oh so good. Concrete so, one, so good. good. So yeah.
0: good. I agree. Okay. So we've been talking hard about this film, but you've been talking hard for over 30 years. So I want to shift gears to your career. Oh, God. Okay. okay? Sure. So, You've done all the things. You sent me. I will share these on Instagram, you guys. So epic. Buzz has met everybody. Tell me what it is like to meet some of the most popular artists. They've got these huge fan bases, and you meet them in studio. What's it like?
1: I got lucky to be in radio at a top 40 station in the mid to late 90s, right? So we're talking like... From Nirvana to Britney, like that era, right? So, alt rock is coming down and pop is coming up. The internet hadn't really come in. So, radio is still king of pop culture. And they would bring bands to our show. And our, our radio station was out in the suburbs. And I was doing the afternoon drive show and bands don't want to get up in the morning. So <laughs> they would, so they would come and see me in the afternoon, the afternoon. Okay. Right. And, and they would drive 45 minutes out to the suburbs. Like they wouldn't do a zoom or a phone call. They 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 would come out. And so I've met 98 degrees, like a couple of times, just sitting like across the table from me, like destiny's child. We're talking first album. Beyonce is 16 years old. <sighs>
0: And you have a picture with her.
1: Right. And they're, and her and Kelly and Latavia, like they're all dressed. This is OG Dusty's child. Yes. Here. yes. Okay. And, and they're, they're all dressed the same. And yet the moms and the aunts throughout the hallway, just looking after them. And I'm goofing on them talking about like they've got crushes on Kobe Bryant and I asked beyond like one of the questions like if you could have a superpower what would it have and Beyonce's like I want to have invisibility so I could go in the room and hear all those people going (laughs) and it's just like I could just hear it right and they sang amazing grace like seriously like four feet from me and that was just like incredible wild right Britney Spears, I introduced her on stage at a concert. 17,000 people in in an arena, right? And that was like, I could have played like fart sounds under my (laughs) armpit and the crowd would have gone crazy, but they were just so there. But that Britney Spears one was right. Second single? Yeah, we talked about how Baby One More Time was originally written for TLC and they turned it down and she was just lucky to get it and talked about working hard with her her mom and her family and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. You know, I did the first ever radio interview with Avril Lavigne and Nelly Furtado, like launching their career. And, and, And the change that you see from them is like they come in and they're, so it's like the first album. There's nothing behind them. There's not like, I've got some songs and will they be good? Will they be not? So like they're doing their own makeup, they're doing their own hair and they're wearing their own just like regular clothes. Like the picture I've got of me and Avril Lavigne, she's just wearing... Like a skater shirt, right? Like with the skulls down the side, like mm-hmm. and black pants. Mm-hmm. And she just looks like a 15-year-old kid that you'd see at a skate park. And then now, and then four years later, it's like bam, right? Yeah. It's just like all done. The career and the time frame that I had. It's like, I feel like I'm name-dropping, but it's just like I, I got to talk to Janet Jackson when she was going to a concert and she was in the car with all of her dancers. And She was so flirty and I'm just like, oh my God, I'm in love. Like, are you, are, are you flirting with me? Like, it was amazing. Like Michael Bublé back in the nineties, I met him when he was a, a bar singer.
0: Like an actual lounge singer.
1: Dude, like, like 300 people in a club that's in the basement of a hotel.
0: That's So, so cool.
1: So Michael Bublé, he had a band called the Bubble Jets. It was Michael Bublé and the Bubble Jets. So this is the swingers era.
0: Okay. I remember it well. Mm -hmm. Right. So
1: Sunday nights was swing dance night at this club called Babalu. And it was made like a Cuban cigar lounge sort of thing. That that very nineties. Right. And Buble was the headliner on Sunday nights. And I was the MC in between band sets where we would have dance instructors come out and would teach the crowd how to do swing dancing.
0: Cool. Do you swing?
1: I danced a little bit.
0: Yeah. I used to do it in the nineties too. My husband was in a swing band. We were like, Oh, swing sweet. culture. Yeah. Oh, ah,
1: great. Super fun. Okay. Right. Okay. So Buble is the the thing and I'm the MC. And um, so for a summer and a fall, like eight months, I was hanging out with Michael Buble every night and you could see it back then. He left that to go and do a play based on a, a famous Canadian DJ and he, it was called red rock diner. And this DJ in Canada uh, Red Robinson was really big in the fifties and sixties, kind of like a Dick Clark. sort okay. of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it takes place in this diner and they have a whole bunch of people pretending to be the stars of the fifties and the sixties. So Michael Buble was the Elvis character. And okay. so, uh, so he goes and he does that show does really well in, in Vancouver. Then he goes to Toronto to do the show. And while he's there in Toronto, a former prime minister of ours, his daughter is getting married. And they see Michael Bublé performing at this thing. And they ask him to be the entertainment at,
0: at the wedding. The wedding.
1: Okay. And guess who's at the wedding? David Foster.
0: Oh, God.
1: And that's where he connects with David Foster. And then... Uh, the
0: rest is history.
1: And my girlfriend would, wanted to be a, a jazz singer at the time. And she and Michael would sing together. Later, like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they co-wrote and produced an album and some songs for other people together. So they're oh. still connected. And then when she and I broke up, I was really down. And so Michael invited me to be part of his his little posse. He introduced me to some girls who would hang out at his table all the time to make me feel a little better. So that was good too.
0: So Michael Buble was your wingman.
1: Yeah, he he lifted my spirits when I was was a little sad. That's but crazy. but again, it's just it's the time, right? Like they talk about like Steve Jobs and and Bill Gates and the time they grew up. Well, it's just like well, it was was where like Gates is growing up in Silicon Valley and gets these jobs at Hewlett Packard. Well, so of course it was all going to come together. Right. And and if you kind of half go down a path, well then there's a greater chance of all these things connecting. Right. Yeah, so, true. so to have met no doubt and Christina and just all of these stars from the nineties, like, well, of course I was, I just happened to be the guy on the air in the big city at that time.
0: God, not a bad place to be. You have to tell me the story of how you slept through the chance to party with you two because talk about regret.
1: Right? So record companies pitch radio stations to play their songs. And so it's like, hey, I've got the new album from Lenny Kravitz. You guys should should play this. Back in the day, you'd get the record album and there'd be 10 bucks inside or concert tickets or a coupon for a new stereo (laughs) or something like that. That's called Payola and it got Uh, it got ruled out of the industry. You're not allowed to do that, but like any salesy business, right? There's a little bit of grease that goes with things. So the record reps would call on the radio station to pitch their records and stuff like that and invite us to concerts and things every now and again. And that's how we would get backstage passes because, you know, if I go backstage and meet Kesha, well, now I've got this experience about meeting Kesha and for the next three weeks when I'm playing the song on the radio, Oh my God, Kesha. So great. And then, And that's how it, how it goes. Right. So I was having a nap and Alfie uh, called me in the afternoon and invited me to go to the Four Seasons Hotel after the concert. I already had tickets to the concert and I, so this is answering machine time or like not text messages or anything like that. And yeah, I slept through the, the phone call and missed the chance to go to go and hang with you two in the edge this would yeah like in 1994 95 which would have been good right
0: yeah. i mean yeah i think it would have been more than good the party with in
1: excess though that i did go to was yes fun. the
0: party with in excess okay. tell me all about it
1: okay because it's kind of it's it's kind of sad so it's oh no right it's 1997 mm. and in excess is just done elegantly wasted which they okay. recorded in vancouver and my girlfriend at the time same one that was singing with Booblight. She would hang out at uh, the Sutton Place Hotel, and this was where NXS was staying because they had like a residence suite for the hotel. And while they were doing the album, they were staying there. And this was the, the fancy hotel in Vancouver where you would always run into celebrities in the uh, in the lounge. Okay. And so it just became a champagne bar, and the cool people would go and hang out there we'd see celebrities. So she became friends with Andrew Ferris and Michael Hutchins. Her and her three girlfriends were just at this hotel a lot just ran into them a lot, just became friendly with them.
0: As one does. As one does, right? (laughs) I mean, right.
1: Right. So NXS comes through in 1997 and they did this thing called blind date. So beer companies, what they would do is they would get big bands into small clubs. So NXS in in a bar that seats like 800 (sighs) and, and this is 1997. So like NXS isn't, it's not kick. It's not,
0: X. Oh, it doesn't matter. But It's, it's still in excess. excess yeah. right? So <laughs> yeah.
1: you're seeing them in a small bar. So we go to the bar and uh, we get because radio, we get the tickets and we see them and blah, blah, blah. And then um, the girls who knew Andrew and Michael it's like, we're going to the four seasons after and blah, blah, blah. So we meet them in the bar and we small talk in the bar. And then they got a ballroom. And Michael Hutchins comes in and he had just had a motorcycle accident, I think. And he had a broken leg. So he had a cane and we're just sitting around the table and we're all chatting. And then Michael comes in, pops up on a table and starts playing a chandelier with his cane and just makes a grand entrance. And then he sees my girlfriend and um, sits down air kiss. And they're having a conversation and catching up. And this was weeks, days after Diana died. Mm. And um, Michael knew her obviously because of London. So he's with Geldof's ex-wife at the time. Right. Oh. And he was talking about how just the paparazzi were just a nightmare and like, no wonder this happened. And it was so terrible. And, and so Michael and my girlfriend sing amazing grace. My girlfriend really likes singing amazing grace, but they sing it boom again, like at the table right in front of me. Wow. And then Michael announces that he's going to have an Austin Powers party in his room, and whoever wants to come <laughs> to his room can come to his Austin Powers party.
0: That's amazing.
1: A bunch of them go with Michael, and I went with another group and went with Andrew Ferris, who was the was the emotional soul of NXS. Like he's the songwriter, he's the composer. He like Michael was the showman, but but Andrew really is is the heart okay. and soul of NXS. And so we go up to his room and talk about the lost city of Atlantis until. Three, four in the morning,
0: as one does.
1: <laughs> and so it was just this really bizarre conversation, and I remember just like kind of half falling asleep at it. So partied with in excess. So it wasn't like wild and crazy. I didn't go to the Austin Powers shagadelic suite with Michael <laughs> Hutchins. I went to the cerebral suite with Andrew Ferris, where we talked about it. But but you even when you like Andrew is still making music. He's doing he's doing country music now. Okay. And he lives in Nashville.
0: In excess is magic.
1: Yeah, so to have met Michael, gosh, that would have been just 4 months before he died. That was a dream come true because when I was 18, 19, I wanted I wanted that hair. I I eventually I grew out that hair. Like I just remember I remember going to the Kick tour and just the strobe lights are going and he's throwing his head back and just his hair and the sweat and that flash dance sort of What a gorgeous thing. man.
0: Oh yeah. And
1: just the Mick Jagger moves and all that. So he had it. Yeah, but again, I've been lucky, right?
0: Oh, so blessed. And today you host mornings for XL103?
1: Yeah. And get up early and play all the songs that I grew up listening to and just try and get out of the way and just like here's Elton John and here's Queen. I mean, and... my
0: favorite, you're speaking my love language right now. And yeah, you know, what I, know. I saw on your social media, hello, you have plans to take yeah. your son to yeah. go see Elton John in Paris this summer, followed by the Stones in Amsterdam. And this is your kid's first concert experience?
1: Yeah. I might be one of those parents that kind of overdoes it and sets the bar too You
0: might be the best. Yeah, exactly. He's going to spend his whole life trying to match that. I mean, that's amazing. Elton John was my first concert experience. Oh, was it really? Mm-hmm. I mean, in 1994, I was 17 sure. years old, but yeah. you know, I was I was the kid in high school in the 90s during Alternative yeah. that was obsessed with Elton John. I was that kid, but oh, you know, fantastic. that's okay. But wow, so cool. Well, we were supposed to see him during the pandemic
1: and it got canceled yeah. a bunch of times. And yeah, then I'm yeah. just like, I, I just went, wow, well, he's playing in June and do you want to skip a week of school? And I said, I've got all these flight credits from all these canceled trips I've been trying to take. <laughs> so- it's expensive, but at the same time, it's just, no, I just had two years of payment plans for, for us to go. So yeah, we're going to go see Elton John. And then I just, when the stones announced a couple of weeks ago, I just saw that they were playing in Amsterdam the next night. And it's just one of those things like, Oh, that's a three hour train ride. We can do, do that. that. Like, do you want to go and see the stones? Yeah. I'm like, okay. I'm like, Aerosmith is playing the night after that. You wanna see Aeros- and is- do you want to
0: see arrows and Atlantis? Do you want to see Alanis? Like we could just never come home, we could I just know. keep doing this.
1: Take the train around you can follow the European festival circuit. So uh oh, COVID yeah. willing. That's that and now my oldest is upset because his first concert was only Ariana Grande, and he's like, Yeah,
0: <laughs> which is still super cool. By I'm the like, way. seriously,
1: I'm like, mine was Huey Lewis in the news, so
0: which fire album? I mean, yeah, sports
1: 1985. Like, and it's like one of the most epic openings for a concert ever, right? This is like boom, boom boom, boom, like the red lights and the heart of rock and roll. And it's, yeah,
0: it's awesome. So cool. I am a huge concert fan. And so it's been really hard the last few years, you know, to not be able to, to see anyone I'm going to see sting in Vegas. And um, mm -hmm. I'm going to be seeing new kids on the block with your salt and pepper and your Rick Astley that's coming up too. I'm excited about that. I'm going to see the pet shop boys in new order.
1: Now that is one that I need to go to
0: take a trip down. We can go have dinner. It'd be amazing.
1: It's, it's in excess. It's new order. It's Depeche mode. Like if there were three artists that I could listen to forever, those would be them. And yeah, I only saw new order on the technique tour. So it was a little, yeah. And I I want like a little too computer, right? Okay. I like to see them now when they're probably more stripped down and, and more guitar-y sort of <sighs> stuff. And with the Pet Shop Boys, because then they'll do some electronic tracks. And I'm like, I loved when they were all together in that.
0: Buzz, I actually have a round of lightning questions.
1: Oh, geez. Okay, let's go.
0: Pearl Jam or Nirvana?
1: I read Dave Grohl's book, so it has to be it has to be Nirvana. Nirvana. Otherwise, I probably would have picked Pearl Jam, um, just because that was more more my thing. I wasn't really into Nirvana, but after reading Dave Grohl's book and was with with what's happened with Taylor, it's just Dave is just such. Like what a beautiful man.
0: An amazing human. Yeah.
1: Right? Has to be Nirvana.
0: Okay. Uh best fast food fries.
1: Well, best fast food fries are Arby's because they're curly.
0: He likes a curly fry you guys. A
1: curly fry with a little spice on it. I mean, McDonald's are the, are the greatest straight fry ever, but if they can cook them properly so they're not soggy in the middle cuz when they get curly it's like it's too frozen in the middle of it. But like I got, I like a good curly fry, so we'll take the Arby's curly fries.
0: You're the first person to answer Arby's and curly fries. So
1: everybody saying McDonald's or is Wendy's up their well, game? I
0: mean, McDonald's is the obvious and Correct choice. So yes, yeah, so I'm getting a lot of McDonald's, but I've also gotten a few Wendy's, which is really the outlier. Yeah. Uh favorite 90s fragrance.
1: See, obsession immediately came out of my mouth, but I'm going to take that back because it really was Nicole Miller's was my cologne that I would wear. I loved it so much. It came in a bag that kind of looked like a like a paper bag, like a brown. It was an orange bottle that kind of looked like a folded paper bag. I knew it was getting discontinued and I bought a whole bunch of the money eBay. And they were like a knockoff. It wasn't the same one. And I had a girlfriend in the nineties that wore sandalwood and um, I still have her t-shirt here 30 and years And it later. still
0: smells like sandalwood. Yeah.
1: Oh, by the way, that's when I looked like Michael Hutchins.
0: Oh my God. You have to send that to me. You have to let me share that on Instagram.
1: Yeah, that was me in 1992. Uh, so yeah, so I have that. I, I don't know why this box is in my office of, of girlfriend things from... <laughs> 40 sure. years ago. My wife
0: really appreciates it. <laughs> but
1: yeah, that's there. I still have Oh, that sandalwood smells so good.
0: Oh yeah. my God. That's so funny. Okay. Did you ever own a bucket hat, Buzz?
1: Bucket hats? No. I wasn't a bucket hat guy.
0: Okay. Brenda or Kelly?
1: Kelly Kapowski? No. Or no, oh, Kelly 9020?
0: Yes. Kelly 9020? No reference. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Kelly. Kelly. I dated a girl. Yeah, I dated a girl who looked like Kelly. <laughs>
0: Now, did you date her because she looked like Kelly?
1: No, I was just really bad in the night.
0: (laughs) I'm (laughs) getting that sense.
1: I was really bad.
0: Okay. What was your first car?
1: Uh, My first car was a 1983 Honda Civic sedan, green with a velvety light brown interior. First new, new car was a 93 red Honda Civic. The one where you had to pay extra to get a passenger side mirror. It only came with one. And so one year for Christmas, guess what I got? I got a side mirror.
0: In the 90s, as a college student, I bought a brand new Toyota Tercel. It came with one mirror.
1: One mirror, right? Because that was the CX. If you wanted the DX, then you got two mirrors. I had a six disc changer in the trunk.
0: Oh, that shit was hot. Right. That was hot. I remember going to like Circuit City to have them install one in the trunk. Yeah. And you were so cool if you had a six disc.
1: Yeah. And then, but, but before that, I had um like the little spot where you could pop up your drinks where it had the two cup holders underneath the underneath the shifter. I would have like a portable disc man on Velcro oh, sitting there with yes. with the with the adapter that would go in the cassette deck. <laughs> playing my Chris and heart-shaped world.
0: That's a good one too. Oh, you going to definitely have to cover that on the pod. Okay. Were you a latchkey kid?
1: Uh, yeah, I was. And like, even in the summer and in the, in spring break and stuff, like, I just remember, I don't remember going to summer camps. Like here I am stressing about where am I going to send my kids to Right, camp? right. And I just remember mom and dad like would leave in the morning and I'd get up and there'd be like, uh, cut the grass, weed the garden, reorganize the shelves. And
0: Feed yourself and don't die.
1: Yeah. There were chores to be done all the time. Yeah. We were home. We were home alone a lot. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, since you were home alone so much, what was your after school snack of choice when no one was around and you had free reign in the kitchen?
1: I would dig into the uh, chocolate chips and the butterscotch chips because there was always like a variety of different chips in the baking cupboard. And I would just like bag those down like it was popcorn. <laughs> And, and maybe throw in some raisins too, just like may make my own little Olympic like
0: little, mix. Little trail mix. <laughs>
1: yeah, but no, not. Without it was just,
0: any of the protein?
1: No, yeah. It was just <laughs> like two flavors of chocolate chips and raisins. And I will still do it now.
0: Oh my God. Okay. What was the film that traumatized you most as a child?
1: I remember the first movie I cried at.
0: Okay. What was that?
1: It was EP when I was 12. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: I remember going with my mom and dad mm-hmm. and I just remember just bawling. So, but even not, not necessarily like trauma, but I was like a really, I, movies affect me really emotionally. Um, like on Golden Pond, same thing. I was probably mm-hmm. far too young to understand the depth of that movie, mm-hmm. but I remember bawling with that. But then the other way watching movies like Karate Kid.
0: I had a nervous breakdown. I was eight years old. I had a nervous breakdown over the Karate Kid. What about the end? It was so triumphant.
1: Yes. It went the other way for me where I just, I thought I was like a superhero when I came out of that. (laughs) And I'm just like, Oh my God, that kid with short dark hair who looks really young and small, just like me. He look what he did. And it's just like, I was doing the, the, the swan thing. And it's like, I joined the wrestling team in high school. I was like, ah, I can do this. And then I wrestled up a couple of weight classes and separated my shoulders. Oh.
0: Okay. You said your first concert. That was the next one was, uh, Huey Lewis,
1: Huey Lewis, February 14th, 1985 row 32 on the floor.
0: Shut up. How do you remember that? Do you have the ticket stub somewhere? I
1: do have, are you looking t- at it
0: right now? Because how
1: I have my ticket stubs somewhere in here. Uh, do you, I didn't know that people collect ticket stubs. Yeah, they do. And I, I put up on my Instagram one year, like all my tickets, like from NXS and U2 and all yeah. these, these tickets. And I had a guy from like middle of nowhere, Iowa. It's like, oh, how much do you want for your U2 ticket stub? And I'm like, from 1987? Yes, exactly. From
0: 1987.
1: I said, uh, you can have it. Just make a donation to the your local food bank, I said. Oh. And, and so I said to do what do I want? And now I look and I see these people on Twitter. It's like Michael Jordan's debut ticket stub sold for 300. I'm like,
0: Whoa, yeah. I think, did anything awesome happen at any of the concerts? I, went to? I saw Corey Hart twice. Did anything happen? I'll tell you what happened. Your life is better for it. That's what happened. Right. <laughs> okay. This last question is for me, Buzz, since we've had a lot of Elton John talk here. What is your favorite Elton John song?
1: Uh, I, so we were playing some songs for his 75th birthday mm. and, uh, I wasn't really an Elton John fan growing up until my <gasps> brother, my, no, my brother was. And I remember listening to Elton John's greatest hits, like on a long drive one time. And I was just like, Oh, Oh, okay. I get it. So like, at first I want to say leave on,
0: Oh, Levon! No one has said that great right? choice,
1: but the one I played on the radio this week and I was just like, Oh, and I can't wait to hear, to see it live is the Bitch Is back. Bitches back is great. It's fun. Yeah. Bitches back for me.
0: Yeah, good pick. So thank you. Thank you for joining me, Buzz. It meant a lot that you took the time and you just had so many great, insightful things to say about radio. I knew you would.
1: Yeah. Hey, and keep listening to the radio, everybody. I mean, it's great we're here on a podcast, but when this is done, go and flip to 92.9 on your FM dial or whatever it is.
0: No, XL 103 out (laughs) of Calgary, you guys. Check it out. You can listen online.
1: I mean, radio is, it's immediate. A lot of it now is, you know, it's networked and it's tape delayed or somebody from out of market is doing it, but there's still lots of great local radio out there and uh, yeah, support local media. It's unlike in Pump Up the Volume, where he can turn it on and say whatever he wants and and just be an authentic self, you know, we are air quotes professionals with right. ethics and standards. And as, as much as media gets divided these days, you know, it is still... A great industry to be in and uh, I hope it lasts another 15 years
0: oh my gosh I do too because <laughs> I always I always felt a really strong connection to like my morning drive and my nighttime drive home because yeah. I felt like I knew the hosts and they would talk about their families and I would feel yes, like I, I knew their kids growing up and what was going yeah. on with them and they felt like part of my family
1: for sure Thanks so much for inviting me on this. It's been a blast to reconnect with you. It's been too long.
0: I know. Thank you. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you're enjoying the pod, I invite you to rate and subscribe so you never miss an episode. We have a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash the Untitled Gen X podcast. And as always, we hope you keep in touch, beautiful people. Bye.